All right, we are in the middle of a series this month on building a protective wall around your heart. And our main text is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which reads, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. That's the New King James Version. The New Living Translation reads, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We explain this, that the heart is used very often in the Bible figuratively uh, to say that just like our physical heart, this physical organ called our heart, is so important and so critical to the sustenance of our life, you do know that our heart pumps blood to all members of our body to give it nourishment and basically keep every part of our body alive. Without that, parts of our bodies would suffer. And so they drew that parallel to say, just like the physical heart is the fountain of life. And the reason they use the word life is because in Bible days, blood was not a symbol of death, but a symbol of life. When you read the book of Leviticus, it says the life of the soul is in the blood. So just like the heart sends blood and pumps blood to all organs, and therefore gives life to the body. The heart, therefore, from the heart comes the issues of life, or it is the fountain of life, or it is the spring whence life comes from. Then that parallel was drawn that our spiritual heart, in the same way, determines the course of our life. For that reason, we need to look after our spiritual heart as much as we look after our physical heart. You know, you've got to look after your Physical heart. We are told by doctors, you know, certain foods we mustn't eat. Uh, we mustn't allow ourselves to succumb to certain behaviors. And we are also encouraged to exercise and all kinds of things. Do cardiovascular exercises and all of that. It's good for your heart. And this scripture is telling us what is good for our spiritual heart. And when it uses the word heart, by the way, it's talking about the core of our being in, in, in Bible terms. It talks about what the Bible calls our spirit. Man's inanimate being, our mind, our thought life, our attitude, really the core of our being. And so our heart is important because it is the fountain of life. It determines what happens. In other words, before things can come about in our lives, they first begin in our hearts. And if we don't know how to take care of our hearts, it's going to be a problem. Like the Bible talks about our thought life. We've talked about that. You know, how we think, how we how we uh, uh, give attention to things in our mind can affect the outcome of our life. So we've already studied uh, then in the past weeks how we need to guard our hearts against bitterness and unforgiveness. We went through scriptures to see that. That, you know, bitterness and unforgiveness poisons our lives, so to speak. And then we also talked about how to guard our hearts against negative words of doubt and unbelief. We noted how we shouldn't allow negative words to incubate in our hearts. And we shouldn't be a people who are filled with doubt and unbelief. So today, we're going to discuss guarding our hearts against fear, worry, and anxiety. You know, fear, worry, and anxiety is a reality of our world. And I mean, all of us have experienced that, and we will experience that emotion. The issue is not about not experiencing that emotion 
as it is about not allowing that emotion to control our lives. In Luke chapter 21, if you can turn there with me or you can look up on the screens, in the New King James Version, when Jesus talks about the last days, and Bible scholars differ on this, some say no, he was talking about the last days, some say no, no, he was talking about the time prior to Jerusalem being besieged by the Romans. Whichever side of the fence you stand in, the principle and the concept still applies anyhow. Whether it's that time or this time, this is what Jesus says. He says in verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Note verse 26. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. Jesus is saying, because of what will be coming on the earth, men's hearts will fail them for fear. There will be fear in people's hearts, and that fear will cause men's hearts to fail. Let me read that to you in another translation, the Amplified Bible. It reads, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and upon the earth there will be distress, trouble and anguish of nations in bewilderment and perplexity without resources, left wanting, embarrassed, in doubt, not knowing which way to turn, as the roaring, the echo of the tossing of the sea. Doesn't that sound like today? I mean, when you look at the world today and you hear the things that are going on in the world, I tell you, our world is, is really in trouble. No, I'm not here to be a preacher of gloom and doom. I'm just, I'm just talking about what is real, all right? Don't mind, there's going to be a good answer to this at the end. All right, tell your neighbor, put a smile on your face, the good news is coming, all right? Don't look so gloomy. Now, note what Jesus says, verse 26, he says, men swimming away or expiring with fear and dread and apprehension and expectation of things that are coming on our world. So Jesus said, you know, in the last days, things will happen. And the one thing that's going to that's characterize the people of the world that time, that emotion that will be there and characterize people in the last days is fear. And as a result of fear, people's hearts will fail them. So Jesus is saying that fear is going to be there. You know, fear makes us to be hypervigilant. We scan around our surroundings looking for potential danger, whether imagined or real. You know, when fear is there, we feel apprehensive. We feel frightened, uncomfortable, anxious, shy, distrusted, horrified, cowardly. We feel panicked, nervous, tense, edgy, jumpy, uneasy. We feel weary, wary, concerned, guilty, and solicitous. In short, what fear does is it distorts our perception of reality. For somebody said, you know, if you look at the word fear, you know, uh, 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 you, you, can, you, can, you can almost understand what God is trying to say to us. False evidence appearing real. And that's what fear does to us. So the word of God exhorts us not to cave in to fear. Because fear is a reality. Now, there's justified fear, by the way, and unjustified fear, all right? If, you, if you're crossing the road here and going to Maponya Mall, and there's a car driving towards you at 230 kilometers per hour, you better be afraid, all right? Then fear is justified. But my goodness, there are times when we are afraid, and to be honest with you, studies have revealed 
that a lot of things that we are afraid of never happen. Many things we are afraid of and worry about just never happen. And we know there's a lot of phobias that are there in the world, and we'll go through that. And the Bible, therefore, exhorts us not to cave into fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So fear can be a spirit or an attitude or a state of mind. It's a spirit. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. But research shows that there's a lot of phobias. In fact, there's more than 100 phobias that are known. 1988, a survey was done of more than 8,000 respondents, and this was published in the British Journal of Psychiatry, and, uh, and I think this research still holds today. It might be slightly different. And they kind of said, they, were, they found that some of the most common phobias that people had include the following. Now, I think it depends which place you are at and pe- the people you're talking to, but I think this might be similar in many parts of the world. They said, you know, there's some of the most common phobias include the following. Acrophobia is the fear of heights. How many of you are sitting next to somebody who has acrophobia right now? (laughs) Aerophobia, the fear of flying. I don't know how many of you know this one. Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Astrophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. Oh, yeah, he was in the first service. Don't worry, he knows what I said. And then autophobia, which is the fear of being alone. Now, I found some of the phobias very interesting. I didn't write all of them. There's too many of them. How do you like this one? Agoraphobia. That's the fear of open spaces or crowded spaces. It doesn't matter. Which space, whether it's open or crowded, you're just afraid. It's agoraphobia. Then they have cynophobia, which is the fear of dogs. No, 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 no. This next fear is the one that characterizes the fourth industrial revolution or whatever we want to call it, the age that we're in. Nomophobia. You know what that phobia? <laughs> Nomophobia. <laughs> You know what phobia is that? The fear of being without a cell phone. Uh, I, have other, I have other phobias that I have written down here, Bazaran. I have, I have one here is in South Africa. Weevophobia. Yeah, come on, come on. Come on now. It's the fear of being without weaves. Another fear, chiefsophobia. That's the fear of Kaiser Chiefs not winning. Yeah, I tell you. No, I'm just joking. Those other two phobias are just made up phobias. But no more phobia. Can you believe? A fear of being without cell phones. What about euphobia? Opposite of euphoria. Euphobia. The fear of good news. Yeah, yeah. Some people are afraid of good news. <laughs> now this last one, I won't go through all the phobias. This last one made me laugh. And phobophobia. 
You know what that is? The fear of phobias. <laughs> you have a phobia <laughs> about phobias. But you know, fear is a real thing. And Jesus says, fear will cause our hearts to fail. And the heart failing has a double-fold meaning. Our natural heart, physical heart, and our spiritual heart. We do know that with a lot of fear, people's hearts can stop. Or when you embrace fear and you live in fear, it can affect you. Physically speaking, you can have certain heart conditions because of fear. But equally so, our spiritual hearts, which is the, the psychological arena, gets affected by fear. Not only by the phobias we've talked about, but what about discouragement? What about people being demotivated? People just not wanting to try anything. And that's what fear can, can cause. But you know, the sad thing is that fear has a cousin. Wherever fear is, you'll find this cousin. And that cousin is called worry and anxiety. Both of them are always together. They always hang around together, like buddies. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, reading from verse 25, it's a long passage I'm going to read, but I want to read all of it. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than the clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into bands, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, do not worry, saying. How many of you realize, when we, once we worry, we start saying our worries or talking our worries? Or you talk to somebody, you talk by yourself. Mm -hmm. And how many of you have realized, you start talking to yourself, you're chewing, chewing your nails to your elbows. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we talk to ourselves, you know. Jesus says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all, after all these things, the Gentile seeks, but for your heavenly father knows. Remember that. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Then he closes by saying, sufficient for the day, is his own trouble. Jesus says, just handle today's stuff today. Don't, don't, don't start worrying about tomorrow today. You know, sometimes we take today's issues and post them to tomorrow. So even before you wake up, you're already worried about tomorrow. You already mess up a brand new day. Hmm? A clean page on which to write a new story of your life. We already mess it up by taking today's problems to tomorrow. Jesus says, hey, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Every day has got its own issues. Deal with every day's issues on that day. Go to bed. Wake up with a new clean slate and write a new story about your life. Oh, come on, somebody in the house here. Now, 
Jesus is not saying we shouldn't plan about the future or think about the future. That's not what he said. See, some people read that and so they say, no, I'm not going to have a bank account. I'm not going to plan for my future. I'm not going to have a vision. I'll just leave. God will see. God won't see. God has given us a brain to think about our future and he has given us plans. All he's saying is think about your future, but don't worry about your future. Why worry about tomorrow? You are not there yet. You're not there yet. And as I said, it's, it's a proven study. Proven study, 99% of what we worry about never happens. Think about it. Think about it. You were chewing your fingernails to the elbows, and when you got there, it wasn't as bad as you thought. You were, I wonder why I was worried. Jesus is saying, you keep doing that, it's going to affect your heart. Jesus, in no way is he saying, we, th- we should throw caution to the wind, just leave it up, and abandon our future to luck and coincidence. All God is saying is, Don't allow yourself to be ruled by anxiety and worry concerning the future. You see, the word worry, when you look at it, it can really mean to choke or strangle. See, worry will choke your future, strangle you. It becomes that nagging, harassing, persistent feeling that drains your energy. Once you worry, you don't want to move anywhere. And, and, and most of the things, when we worry, it's going to be a problem. And so when worry is there, it's almost like there's this persistent whisper of a voice at the back of our mind that, that, that's nagging us and, 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 and it worries us. And, and so Peter tells us in First Peter 5, 7, he says, give all your worries and your cares to God for he cares about you. So it's not saying don't worry. It says, look, there's worry. Just give it to God. He doesn't say worry won't come. He says, your night will come. But just give all your worries to God. Don't allow your worries to determine your future. Fear, worry, and anxiety can grip your mind with uncertainty of what may happen. And as a result, we end up being negative people. See, our expectation gets drowned out. And unfortunately in life, we go through disappointment and tragedy. And what what does that do? If you allow yourself to be filled with worry and anxiety and fear, you end up caving into a sense of hopelessness. And failure can kill our desire or our ability to expect something new. You know that people are not expecting anything new. I mean, I was listening this week. Okay, you know, state of the nation, the sauna. Now, I'm not commenting about that. I'm not giving you my opinion about the speech of the president. Okay, that's not what I'm saying about that. But it was quite interesting. How people just don't believe that certain things can happen. You know, our president talked about a new city, a bullet train. And some people said, yeah, he's dreaming. <laughs> and he did say it's a dream. But I don't know how many of you know that most entrepreneurs and most pioneers in the world, they were never received in, in their lifetime by their generation. Yeah, there are people who lived in the same age as those pioneers and entrepreneurs. And when they said things, people around them said they're dreaming. It's you and me who celebrate them several years later. It's always like that. And fear and worry can kill our ability to dream. I pray to God that if your ability to dream and to envision has been taken away by fear and anxiety, may the power of the Spirit of God today Bring that dream back to life. Somebody give the Lord a big shout. Yeah, but see, when there's worry, you know, in the inner places of your soul, there's a war that's raging. You, you sort of hear the words, you don't have a chance. You know, you hear the words, life is against you, so give up. 
Or you can't, you can't recover from this. Or, or, or people like you should never have dreams like this. Or you hear the words, why expect anything when you know you will be disappointed? You know you lost. You know you couldn't keep that relationship. Why go for another one? Look at your neighbor and say, try that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That simply means just stop that. Stop that. I'll tell you why we need to try that. Because in Proverbs 4.12, God says to us, when you walk, your steps will not be hindered. <laughs> when you run, you will not stumble. In other words, do not allow pessimism to hinder your steps from fulfilling your God-given expectation. You've got to dream again. So make a concrete decision to remove, to remove the negative spirit, negative attitudes, negative thoughts from your life. In short, just say this. I'm going to compare the size of my problems to the greatness of the God that I serve. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not denying I have problems. I do have problems. But my goodness, my God is bigger than the problems. Yeah. Be like Jabez. Don't allow your life to be defined as negativity. Many of you have read the story in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. I'll just read the two scriptures. It says, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed. Oh, that you would enlarge my territory. And oh, that your hand would be with me. And that you would keep me from evil, that I may, I may not cause pain. Ah. Jabez is saying, I, I, I know I was, I was given this name because my mother bore me in pain. I, I, you know, I have, I have no control of my past. But I know my future can change God because of you. Oh yeah. I'm not going to allow my life to be relegated to pain. And it says at the end, God granted him his request. My goodness. In other words, Jabez was expecting God to surpass the stigma placed on him by others. What stigma has been placed on your life? Yeah. What is it that is being said about you? God's blessing for you can change all that. So re refuse any obstacle. Refuse any person, any opinion to restrict you from the dream and the expectation God has given you in your life. Do what God told Abraham. He says, Abraham, lift up your eyes and look. In other words, lift up your vision and match God's vision to your life. So instead of caving in to anxiety, let the peace of God rule in your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Let's have that in the Amplified Bible. God is saying, instead of caving in to worry and anxiety, instead of allowing your fears to rule you, do this. Don't fret. I love it in the Amplified. Or have any anxiety about anything. Somebody say anything. Yeah. Say it again. Yeah. Say it again. Yeah. Does that mean, imagine what about the food? 
the clothes, your children, your husband, your wife, your safety. Oh, why are your yeses going away now? Uh, you, mustn't, you, you mustn't worry about anything but in. In what? In what? I can't hear you. In what? In every circumstance and in. By what? By prayer and. Which is what? Definite request. Note what it says. With thanksgiving. Then it says what? Continue to make what? To make your what? Your what? Your what? Your wants? Your wants? So God says when I pray, I mustn't start telling him all my problems. That's what it says. That's what it says. That's what it says. That's what it says. See, some of us, we think prayer is complaining. Oh, God, that's not... <laughs> my cat and my dog, they have the flu. <laughs> God says, hey, hey. make your wants. God says, listen, I already know the problem. Tell me, how do you want me to solve it? There it is, there it is. Make your what? Make your what? I can't hear you. Make your what? Make your what? Your wants known to your friend? To your prayer partner? Make your wants known to God. Now God says, if you do this, Next verse applies. And God's peace. <laughs> Instead of worry. Instead of anxiety. Instead of concern. God's peace shall be yours. That tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and being content with his earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your there we go, hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, a garrison is a protective wall. This is derived from what used to be done in those days. Cities in those days had walls built around them. So if you came into a city, you had to go through the city gate. And the wall that's built around the city is called a garrison. And so if you build a strong garrison, anything that came from the outside to try and attack you, it would be blocked by that garrison. God says, let me tell you, the protective wall around your heart and your mind is the peace of God. But that peace only becomes yours when you learn how to make your wants known to God. Go with me to the book of 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I mean 1 Peter written here, 5 verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5. Are you there, Basix? Are you there? Note what God says. God is telling us. You know, God doesn't just say don't worry. He tells us how to deal with worry. He does one thing for God to say, hey, don't worry. And then he stops. He says, no, no, let me show you. If you're anxious about anything, anything, let your request be made known to God. Huh? And that peace will garrison. Build a protective order. Protect you. In the world of uncertainty, you will be protected. 
Then Peter comes and says, casting the whole of your care. You know, sometimes we, 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 we talk to God about the big problems and with the small ones, we want to worry a little bit about them. You know, just, and then I give God the big ones, but the small God says, no, 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 no. The whole of your care. Read with me. All your... Come on now, read it again. All your... End. Yes. All your... Mm-hmm. All your... Con- uh-huh. Once and for all on him. Cast them on him. Now, this is a very powerful picture language he's using here. Because in these days, people used to commute in different ways, and sometimes they would use donkeys, imbongo, to commute from one place to the other. And oftentimes, they had to transport a lot of cargo, Some of it, they had to carry it themselves. And so the picture we have here is of this person carrying all this load. And they're supposed to travel from here to another place far away. So they're almost buckling under the care and the load of what they are supposed to carry. And the Bible says, instead of you buckling and buckling under the care and the load, that, that, that word cast means to throw. You know, it's almost like, here, 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 here is the donkey, and I'm just about to fall, and I'm so tired that when I offload, I, I don't even do it nicely. I just throw it there. Whew. Let the donkey handle it. I am free from now onwards. And after you've done that, you just get up and you just hold the donkey saying, let's go. That's the picture there. There's a picture there. God is saying, instead of you carrying your stuff, he says, by the way, God's not a donkey, right? He says, but why don't I handle it for you? Yeah. I'll handle it for you. Instead of you trying to deal with it, instead of you trying to sail the rough seas in your own strength, Instead of you trying to make it through turbulence, why don't you give it to me? I'll handle it for you. And you can walk. And that's why it calls it the peace that passes understanding. In other words, you are not supposed to be at peace given your circumstances. You are not supposed to be having that peace. But because you knew how to take your burden and throw it on God. God says, I'll handle it for you. And when people look at you, they, they can't understand why you are at peace. And yet... You are surrounded by so much turbulence and say, no, 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 you don't know. I cast my cast. Can I hear an amen in the house? I had a story that blessed me so several years ago. Someone I knew was telling us about the trip they had and they were on this journey, transatlantic flight, and the flight got caught in very bad turbulence. It was bad. You know, oftentimes when there's turbulence, the cabin attendants are very nice. They come to you and say, sir, particularly if you didn't put your seatbelt on after the lights come and say, would you please put your seatbelt on? And if you're walking around the cabin, they say, please, can you take your seats? Your seat, we just experienced in turbulence. We'll be fine. And they speak in a nice way. Have you seen them? They're, they're nice. And then they're very, 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 very nice. And the pilot comes on with that very wide voice. Say, ladies and gentlemen, 
We are just, you know, this, I like it when they say, there's a lot of weather around. We're just experiencing some few bumps. So don't worry about it. Nothing to be too concerned about. You know, when they say that, I just tie it. Tie the stick. Because <laughs> that phobia, what's that phobia of flying? Whatever that phobia is, just get it. But on this flight, the cabin attendants started getting afraid. They themselves started screaming. And there was total pandemonium. You know, they're supposed to keep you calm. And when they start screaming, because things were falling off, it was really bad. So the captain decided to address the people, you know, through the speakers and comes and says, ladies and gentlemen, please, if you could just calm down. Please, ladies and gentlemen, please. And nobody was listening. <laughs> Everyone was crying. Oh, some of them were already praying. Into your hands I commend my spirit. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> But finally, he, goes and said, Let's enjoy. He, he thought about it said, let me, let me tell these guys what my CV is. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been a pilot for 40 years now. Then he, he goes through his resume. He says, you know, I started flying at such and such an age. I was also a pilot in the Air Force. I flew this flight. And he just goes on and on and on and on. He said, ladies and gentlemen, in all these 40 years, I've never crashed even once. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a very experienced captain. Who's at the controls? Please, ladies and gentlemen. Would you just settle down and, 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 and just give me time? I'll get you out of this. Just give me time. Ha. Just give me time. Listen. There's someone here today who's bigger and better than that pilot. His name is Jehovah God, the God Almighty, and your life is in his hands. And he's saying to you, if you're going through the turbulence of life, don't allow the turbulence to make you to come apart. Just give me time. Because I found out sometimes God doesn't solve it this week. He doesn't solve it next week. Sometimes it takes a year. It takes two years. But Oksala, your God's going to solve it someday. Just give him time. Give him time. Give him time. He'll get you out of this. He'll get you out of it. Whatever you're going through, throw that burden. Allow the peace of God to garrison around your heart and your mind. And just relax in the presence of God. And just give him time. Give him time. Give him time. I found out he's never too early. He's never too late. He's always on time. Ah, somebody give the Lord a shout. He's always on time. He's always on time. Let me conclude. One of the names that God was known by in the Old Testament is the name Jehovah Shalom. Wow. And how this came about is when Gideon had encountered God and God had appointed him to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. And in Judges 6.23, it reads, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. Listen to what it says in verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord. 
Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. For this day it stands, to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abzirites. That's the name of God. He wanted people to know him as Jehovah Shalom. See, in the Jewish culture, just like it is in our cultures, and in some of our African traditional churches, when they greet and they meet you, they say, Chodzo. 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 In fact, when you read the writings of the Bible, you find that when Paul wrote to the churches, he would say, grace, mercy, and peace. He always start with that word, peace. And when Peter wrote to the churches, he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. So in other words, even the peace you have can be multiplied. Why is that word so important? When they greet each other in the Jewish culture, even today, they say, shalom. See, the word shalom, we translate it as peace in English, but that's, that's insufficient. Because see, the word shalom means welfare, wholeness, health, prosperity, and peace. When they say peace, they're saying, I wish you welfare. I wish you wholeness. I wish you health. I wish you prosperity. And I wish you peace. And it's amazing to note that That even Jesus, after his crucifixion, when he spoke to his disciples, he says, I give you my peace. Oh. Before he loved the world, when he was hanging on the cross, Jesus talked to one of the disciples, gave them his mouth. The soldiers had taken his clothes. But to his disciples, he says, I give you peace. And he says, my peace, I live with you. Because Jesus understands peace is vital and it will determine the quality of life we live in in this world. You know, sometimes we think that money, possessions, vacations, social outings, friends, all these things can bring peace as much as they are good in their own place. But really, shalom can only come from God. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Peace belongs to him and he's the only one who can give peace. In John 14, 27, he says, peace, I live with you. He says, my own peace I now give and bequeath to you. He says, not as the world gives do I give you. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In short, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Neither let yourself be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. Don't permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. I bequeath peace. Oh, peace. In fact, when the Bible tells us about his coming, Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's no peace without Christ. You can have everything that the world can give you. You can have all the possessions of the world, even if they're good, but you will never ever have this peace, this shalom, without Jesus Christ. It's only found in him. I think it's last week I talked about this, but I'll say it again. You know, when you get to a certain age, you have a right to tell your stories again and again. Once you reach 50 and you are aging to watch 60, which is where I am now, you end the right to tell the same story like it's the first time you are telling it. And the people who are listening to you have the right to listen to it like they have never heard it before. So we all have rights in the place. A few years ago, I was at home. One of those days when uh, things were not going well in the house, uh, we were not happy with each other. And we had engaged robustly in conversation. <laughs> and I was at home. It was a day off. My wife had gone to work. It was my day off. I was at home that day. And, oh, I was going to be working late. I don't remember what it was, but I was at home. And it just so happened that it was a very cold and gloomy day. You know, one of those days, right? Just want to stay indoors. You don't want to be out there. It's terrible. It's gloomy. It's bad. Even that weather affects your mood. Maybe that's why things were not all right in my home. Hey. And then I see these guys, the people who get the garbage cans, the trash cans, the, you know, you know, and they're getting the dustbin, as we call it. And he's getting my dustbin full of trash from our house. And the brother is singing. And I'm looking at him through the window and I'm thinking, look at me. I'm being honest. I'm in this house. That guy, I'm sure he doesn't have half of what I have. Huh? But everything I have, I'm as morose as morose can be. Look at the brother. He's singing. He's happy. He's having joy. But me, I'm sulking. And God said, mm-hmm. That's the day I realized, you know, as much as possessions are good, he can never give you peace. Ah, God. Peace comes from a person. And his name is Jesus. Yeah. Now we're not saying people shouldn't have possessions. We're saying Jesus is the only one who can give peace. Because peace comes in your heart. That same heart that can fail. That same heart that can be afraid. Jesus gives peace. When you get this inheritance called peace, life changes. And everything around you becomes better. You know that God is faithful to bring you through the challenges of life. Second Peter 1, 2, as it says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. In other words, the more we know him, the more we experience him, the more we are at peace. The more we know him, the more we experience him, is the more we realize he's the only one who can bring peace. Thank God for everything around. But my goodness, he is the prince of peace and he is the peace of my life. Can I hear an amen in the house?
Can I hear an amen in the house? Can I hear an amen in the house? Can I hear an amen in the house? Jesus says, peace, I live with you. And as I close, I want to say to you, whatever it is that your heart is troubled with today, I'm not talking about denial. I'm not talking about ignoring your problems and acting like they're not there. I'm talking about a casting. Throw it on God. You already know that you can't solve it, don't you? You know, when I was young, I loved watching insects and birds. I still do. In the place where I lived, we had these gray ants. I don't know what they call them. I don't know what species they are. I don't know what they're called. They are ants, I know, but I don't know what kind. And there's, there are plenty in the area where I lived. They would be all over the place. And I used to, as a child, I used to lie on my belly and watch them. And I'd see them, you know, going to get food. And you know how the ants work, eh? And they're pulling this thing. Six of them. The others are hanging in the air. Anybody knows that? Eh? I mean, they are, they, they're, they're pulling this thing into the hole. And because I'm a very compassionate person sometimes, I thought, you know, let me help these ants out. Oh, come on now, don't look at me like that. I try to help the ants. You know, so let, me, let me help the ants. So I went over to the open space to go and get a locust. We had lots of locusts, all kinds. Big ones, small ones, green ones, brown ones. And then I get one juicy one, great one. I mean, I'm bigger than the ants. I can do, I can see, I see, boom. Brought it to the ants, put it next to their hole. And these ants, you know, would try to pull this scrumptious meal into the hole. Struggle and struggle. And I'm lying down there thinking, these ants, don't they realize I'm bigger than them? (laughs) In fact, don't they realize I already know the things they need? even before they ask me. Don't these ants know that they don't have to struggle like this. All they have to do is to ask me to take that worm and put it into the hole. I'll do it in just one swipe. I'll do it instead of them sweating it out like that. I said, these poor ants, the problem is they don't know. They don't know I can do this for them. They can go in at home and have a bribe. Don't have to worry. Sometimes I feel like that's the way God feels about us. From the balcony of heaven, He's looking at us, struggling with the things of life, trying to make it work. Say, so God says, This ends. Why don't they cast their cares on me? Why don't they tell me what they want? I will do it for them. And so from today, Instead of being filled with worry and anxiety, tell God what you need. I said, tell God what you need. Why don't you raise your hands and pray and talk to God about whatever issue you have in your life right now. Tell him what you want. Throw that care. Once and for all. Remember, he cares for you, the Bible says. He cares for us affectionately. And he cares for us watchfully. God is aware. God is aware. You know, when our hearts are disconnected with God, we end up having a sense of being discontented. A void fills our hearts and fills our life and 
And sometimes we don't even know how to describe what we are feeling. But that is because you see we were created by God and we were created to have a connection with God. But through the sin of Adam in the garden of Eden, we were separated from God. Though we may live good moral lives and be good person generally, but if Christ hasn't come into our lives and into our hearts as the prince of peace, there can be a void that we may not be able to describe. Just a sense of being lost, a feeling of being condemned or a feeling of being separated from God where we know we are not connecting with God. And one of the things we love to pray with you about today is that if you have that sense and that feeling and you want to invite Christ into your life to be the Savior and the Lord of your life, I'd be very glad to pray with you today. This is not a call to say that you're a wrong or evil person. But you know, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because there's something in the heart of a person that even with all the good works that we do, and all the good things that we do, if Christ is not the center of our lives, then there's a hollow in our lives and there's a gap in our life. If you want to invite Jesus Christ in your heart today, we want to pray for you. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please. Right where you are, my brother, my sister, if you say, please pray for me, I want to invite Jesus Christ into my heart. I want to settle this once and for all. I'm tired of just going on with this sense of guilt, condemnation, fear in my heart and a sense of being lost, not knowing what my heart is longing for. But today, I want to invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart. Would you please pray for me? If that is you and you need the prayer, would you just raise your hand right where you are, please? Just raise it high so that we can pray with you. Just raise it high all over the place. Thank you for those hands. All over the place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. I want to ask all the people who raise their hands. We want to pray with you. Would you please come from where you're standing and make your way to the front. And as you walk to the front, please don't leave any of your belongings behind. Take them in your hands, all right? Just come from where you're walking. Give them a big hand as they come. Come, let's pray with you.